Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. I've been a Christian for 42 years and change, and uh, I've been really learning a lot lately, and uh, one of the things that I've been learning about is compassion, so I wanted to share a little bit about compassion with you. Are you, are you good with that, compassion? This kind of is being squeezed for the sake of others. Maybe we could pray just momentarily. Holy Spirit, I'm looking for revelation uh, for all of us here that we would experience, uh, hear, hear God's word and voice in such a way that we will be uh, not just saturated ourselves, but so that when you squeeze us with affection or affliction, uh, we'll, uh, we'll exude the compassion of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? <clears throat> so... I was experienced, you know, I do a lot of street ministry and stuff in the Tenderloin and in the Haight-Ashbury and hang around with a lot of addicts and alcoholics and people that are just on the fringe of our, of our world. And I just make so many good friends and have a lot of friends, homeless friends and barely housed friends and such. But I was experiencing this compassion fatigue. You know about that? Have you ever experienced that? We just go, man, I'm just, I'm out. You know, so I went to the mountains for a couple of weeks and got some renewal in that. It was really, really a good thing. But it was, it was when I got back. It was kind of unexpected. I was teaching in a little house church, and I was helped by the conversation that happened. There was a kind of a collective revelation that was going on. I really like that about the church. It's not just about the experts. You know, we got we got some Greek words and some Hebrew you know, food, and uh, we have stuff to share, but it's all of us have something go- going, right? If you're full of Jesus, you're, you have the opportunity to have revelation, and I'm enriched by you, so keep that in mind. I'm going to have you talk a little bit today. I, you know, I'm lazy, and I want you to do some of the work, okay? So I was teaching this little house church about how to do, uh, study the Bible inductively, and we were using Philemon. The little, it is a book of the Bible, Philemon. <clears throat> it's one of my favorites because you can read it, you know, quickly. It's like Third John, you know, kind of like that. And so we were using Philemon for practice. And the conversation sort of turned to compassion. I wasn't guiding it that way, but I think God was. And so I, we discovered something kind of by accident here about compassion uh, in Philemon. And so here's the story. You know the story, right? This little book. Paul's in jail in Rome. He leads a guy. There's a runaway slave that stole from his master and got busted and is in jail with Paul. Well, if you're in jail with Paul, you're going to hear good news about Jesus, right? So he leads him to Christ. And then they collectively decide, well, we need to send you back to Philemon, to Colossae, the town of Colossae, where Colossians was written to. It was written to them. Uh, to his master named Philemon. So there's Paul, there's Onesimus, and there's Philemon. Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. 
Now he sends him back, but he doesn't just send him back, he sends him back with a cover letter, a letter of reference, so that Philemon will accept him as a brother, and he says, if he owes you anything, you know, I'll put that on my account, I'll pay it back, and uh, when he comes to your door, receive him like me. Do you mind like reading a little out loud with each other? So you got to sit close enough to somebody if you're open to do this. And then just kind of read, you know, if there's two or three of you, then just read, somebody read a verse, somebody else read a verse, somebody read a verse, somebody, until you get all the way through. And I want you to look for compassion. Not the word, but the concept. Not the term, but the, the, uh, it being lived out, the example of compassion, okay? You ready? Kind of, and if you don't like to do this, then just read on your own. That's okay. You can just do that. But if, if you will, read out loud and let's just kind of fill the room with the Word of God being read. Okay? Go. Compassion word in the New Testament is splanchna. And splanchna, you know, usually we'll say, you know, I just feel it deeply in my heart. But the Greeks would say, I really feel it in my guts. I feel it deep in my intestines. That's splanchna is kind of intestines. And I feel this pain. You know what compassion is? Is your pain in my heart. And so I feel it deeply inside. It says often about Jesus that he was moved with compassion. So compassion is not the same as empathy or sympathy. It may start there, but it leads you to action. You do something. Compassion is something that you, you respond to and you do. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in us, both the desire and the power to do His will. And so, He puts something inside, and we, you know, we work it out, and that's compassion. It, it gets, it, it's an action thing. It's not just a feeling thing. So here's Paul in jail. You just read about it, right? He's in jail. What would normally be on a normal person's mind, you know, uh, that's in jail, especially if they just got beaten in there, they're in there unjustly. Christian, uh, beaten, uh, thrown in jail, what would normally be on a normal person's mind? What? Talk to me. Revenge, retribution, freedom. Get me out of here! Right? So I'd be working up the prayer chains. I'd be writing to all my Facebook friends, you got to pray. I need out of here. What's, Paul, what's on Paul's mind though? What's on his mind instead of getting out? What's on his mind from what we just read? So there's love. He's extending himself to whom? Who is he extending himself to? Talk to me. Yeah, this other guy who's a fellow prisoner, Onesimus. He's not even thinking about himself. He's thinking, man, you've got to get out of here and go back to Colossae and hook up with the guy that you ripped off, right? So he's, that's what, this is, so the first thing about compassion is it's selfless. Selfless. So uh, compassion is a selfless thing. It's not about me, it's about you. It's, it's, it's God squeezing me to, you know, so that something good can come out to other people. And how does, okay, he's in jail, he's suffering, and he's thinking about somebody else. Who does that remind you of? When was Jesus in particular thinking about somebody else when he was at the height of his suffering? When was that? Somebody from over here. We haven't heard. On the cross. So he looks, these people have revelation over here too, so okay. So he's on the cross, and he looks down. And who's he, who does he see? His mother and his beloved disciple, John. And he says, you guys need to be together. Mom, go to his house or whatever, whoever's house. Take care of her, will you? Compassion. He's thinking about somebody else. And then he looks up and who does he talk to? 
the father and he says, these people, they don't know what they're doing. So please forgive them. So in the height of his suffering, he has what? Compassion. So Paul is like that. He's in the middle of a jail situation and he's thinking about somebody else. It's selfless. Compassion is selfless. Everybody say that. Compassion is selfless. When I say selfless, I don't mean you have no self. It means that you put yourself later. And selfless means that I see somebody else's need, you know, even more profoundly than my own. I have a friend named Kenai, just got radically saved in Golden Gate Park. Homeless guy, 43 years old, addict, alcoholic, got totally radically saved and got baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm serious. This is the most radical conversion I've seen since I've been hanging with homeless people in the park or on the street in the Tenderloin. And uh, a couple of months after he gets saved, he decides, man, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta go back to Texas and pay my debt. I left, I was on probation. I owe him another year. And I've been on the run for, I don't, I don't know how many years. So we, you know, do a big send-off and pray for him. And, and he, gets, he gets on the bus and he goes to Texas. And I won't belabor the details, but on his way, he's two blocks away from the sheriff's office. He has an accident with a train. You don't, norm, you, know, you don't usually win those uh, accidents with trains. And he gets drugged 300 yards and goes to the, gets somebody took him to the hospital and amputated most of his foot. Before he gets to the sheriff's office, he calls the sheriff's office from there and says, I'm here to turn myself in, but I'm kind of indisposed at the moment. And uh, so I call him on the phone. And here he is in the hospital. He's a brand new Christian. And... Uh, He's trying to go to jail. I mean, who tries to go to jail? And he uh, is, he's, you know what he talks to me about? He says, man, I've gotten to share the Lord with uh, this doctor and with this nurse and this other patient that's in my room. He's thinking about, he's thinking about somebody else. Kena, I'm going, dude, this is terrible. He says, bro, don't worry about me. I mean, he's in, he's in Amarillo, Texas, witnessing to people. That's kind of like Paul, kind of like Jesus. Compassion. Where do you see in Philemon where it has something to do with Jesus. Paul is like Jesus when he says, charts, you said it. What does he say? Charge it to me. Aren't you glad that Jesus said that about you? You know, what's your name, brother? Bob, I'm Barney. Barney. Yeah, good to meet you. And so Bob, I mean, you... I've never met anybody that wasn't, so you must be a sinner. <laughs> I, I am too. We're fellow sinners, right? We're, you know, we're saints now, but we were, you know, we're still got, we're not sinless. I don't, is he sinless? I don't think he is. Are you a guest here, Bob? First, is this your first time? Okay, good. Jesus said to the Father, charge it to me. Charge it to me. Just keep that in mind. Compassion is a selfless thing. Jesus was, Paul was selfless, Jesus is selfless. I'm going to come back to you, Bob. Do you mind? Are you good? Okay, good. See, I don't like paying my own debts, let alone somebody else's, you know. But compassion is selfless. There's a second thing that I saw this, on this day of this, this house church that I was teaching in. They were teaching me more than I was teaching them. We turned to verses 17 and 18. Will you look at that, verse 17? Can, do you, would you look, look there in your Bible or on that sheet? You see verse 17? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
if he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. We were just talking about charge it to me. Welcome him as you would welcome me. But how many of you, yes, how many of you pray in the name of Jesus? Can I see your hand? When you pray, either you say it or you just know it. Why do you do that? Well, it's so that people will know that when the prayer is over and they can open their eyes. before It comes before the amen, right? You got to have it. There's a format on this. No, that's not why we do that. Why do we do that? Jesus wrote us a letter of reference. So he says to the Father, welcome Bob as you welcome me. So Father, if Bob comes to your door in my name, with my letter of reference, with my name at the bottom signed, let him in. So Bob, when he prays, he goes to Jesus, he goes to the Father and says, you know, the Father goes, who are you? And he goes, well, <laughs> I have the letter from your son. You see, there's a picture here. And so Paul, he's in that kind of place where Jesus paid for our sins. He gave us his name. Yeah? And this letter of reference, his credentials. Father answers the door. We, we come in the name of Jesus. So it would be like this. Uh, sorry, Bob, I'm picking on you, but it, your name is easy and you're right here. Uh, so Jesus says, Father, Jesus says, Father, I'll pay Bob's bill. Whatever wrong he has done, charge it to me. Welcome this sinner, Bob, as you would, look and, listen, as you would welcome me. So not only does Bob get in the door, but the Father sees Bob in the what? The righteousness of Jesus, yeah? And he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Treat him as you would treat me. When he comes to your door and uses my name. So when Bob says, I come in the name of your son Jesus, please let him in and treat him as you would, you know, treat me. Okay. So we're kind of, you know, we're, we're on good territory right now when we're in this house church talking about this. And so then look at the next verse down in the outline. It's Colossians 1.22. It's to the same city from the same cell. So it's, you know, he wrote Philemon and Colossians at the same, at the same season from the same place to the same town. He has reconciled you, you Christian, by Christ's physical body through death to present you what? What does it say? Holy in his sight, let's say the next thing, without blemish, the next thing, free from accusation. So when Bob comes in the name of Jesus, he see, the Father sees him, he sees Jesus. And he's, he's totally free from, you know, accusation and, and without blemish in that. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the, what? The righteousness of God. So, Jesus and I, like, we're twins, but we're really not, and we have just graduated from high school, and I got all F's in a, all through high school, and Jesus got all A pluses all the way through high school. And we're walking home, and I'm going, I'm doomed. The Father is going to be really, you fill in the blank. And so, uh, Jesus goes, well, Barney, how about if we just switch report cards? So we do. I go, cool. And so uh, we go home to the Father, and he gives to the Father my report card of all Fs and is punished for it. And I get all of his A pluses, and I go home to the Father, and I'm rewarded for his A's because he gave them to me. It's the great exchange, right? So there's a, isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. His compassion was sacrificial. That's the second one. Compassion is sacrificial. Everybody say that. Compassion is sacrificial. 
So when we have compassion, it's got to be sac it's sac true compassion is sacrificial. So our sacrifices aren't redemptive like his are. You know, they're not. But they do redeem. They bring redemption. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. The next verse in Colossians 1.24. Two verses later, same cell, same city. Paul is writing to the Colossian church. Now, not just Philemon, but Philemon's part of the church. This is one of the most enigmatic verses in the Bible. But I think I might understand a piece of it. I could be wrong, but listen to what I have to say and then make your own decision. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? There's something lacking in Christ's afflictions, at least in Paul's day, maybe in our day. I think we live in Paul's day in a way, so something lacking. Didn't Jesus say it is finished on the cross? It's finished. There's nothing lacking in his redemptive sufferings. There's nothing lacking in what he did but there might be something lacking in our participation in those afflictions to make that good news known to other people. So in other words, his sufferings provide salvation. Our sufferings are necessary to proclaim it. Like Kenai in that hospital. He's telling people about Jesus when half his foot just got chopped off and he's on his way to jail. His sufferings point to Jesus. His afflictions are... He, there was something lacking in the, in the demonstration of the afflictions of Christ until Kenai showed up in that hospital and had his foot chopped off. Jesus' sacrifice is finished. Ours is just beginning. Compassion is sacrificial, man. It's not, it's not just a feeling of empathy or sympathy for those poor people there and there and there and there. It's sacrificial. It, there's some pain involved, and sometimes that pain is the people that you're trying to help hurt you, like Paul. What? Right? I mean, he was preaching to them, and they beat him up and threw him in jail. But what did Paul do? Oh, man, get the prayer chain. No, he didn't say. He was in there leading people to Christ, and he was writing the most phenomenal letters that he ever wrote. He was willing to suffer. Are you willing to suffer for show and tell? What I call show and tell. Remember show and tell as a kid? We show it, and we tell it. If you don't show it, don't tell it, because you ain't got, you don't, you don't got it. Amen? So show and then tell. Well, I think there's something that the world misses out on if we don't participate in that. Look at this next verse. And this is another weird verse. I'm not trying to give you a, like, answer all the, bad, the hard verses in the Bible, but I think these fit together. Look at Galatians. Not a, a prison epistle at all. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the scars of Jesus got scarred when he was crucified, you know, holes in hands and feet. And when he came out of the grave, you know, in the resurrected form, he still had those. And then it says in Revelation, we were reading Revelation earlier, that they looked upon him whom they pierced. So it seems like he still has his scars. I don't know. His glorified body seems to be the only one that will, you know, retain its scars because they're redemptive. But Paul says... I bear on my body the marks, the scars of Jesus. So he got beat up, and it's as though his scars represented the scars of Jesus. Does that make sense? His, Jesus' scars in heaven 
are an evidence of his sacrifice. Our scars on earth evidence our sacrifice to show his sacrifice. I'm not trying to be too mystical. I'm just saying, I think, here's the deal. Compassion will cost you. That's what I'm saying. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. It's selfless and it's sacrificial to be truly have splunch. No. Okay, okay, but I'm still not quite there. So here's what then I said in this house church. I said, I don't think he was trying to make a metaphor. I don't. I don't think Paul was going, this is like Jesus and I can be like Jesus and I can charge it to me and uh, welcome him as you would welcome me. I don't think he was intending that. I think this was a, a vivid picture, an inadvertent picture. There's a lot of Old Testament intentional pictures of Jesus, yeah? The sacrificial system, the Passover, and the, the tabernacle, all that stuff is pointing to Jesus. That was intended by God. He, he calls it a shadow in, in Hebrews, yeah? That all that is a shadow. So, and he says, man, you, you, got the re- you got the person now, why do you need the shadow? You know, so all of that points to Jesus. But I don't think Paul was trying to be a type of Jesus like the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament or whatever. I don't think it was in his mind. I think it just came out. Um, we We turned a corner in this conversation and we're about to turn one now. So this woman in this house church says this. You know, and, and, and this is the value of having people, you know, collective revelation. She goes, hmm, do you think it's, I'm going to kind of read a little bit of how I processed her conversation. She said, do you think it's possible that Paul was so infused with Jesus and his personality that he was like he was exhaling what he had been inhaling of Jesus? It was just kind of that natural... She, I said, huh? And she said, maybe, maybe, because I said this wasn't intended. He didn't intend to make this picture, make this metaphor. She said, maybe he was so full of the sacrificial nature of Jesus that when he was faced with a scenario where he could pay the debt of an unworthy sinner, Onesimus, when he was faced with a scenario where he could pay somebody else's debt, it was his first and his unconscious reaction. Man, I went home and I thought about that for weeks. Compassion is not just selfless or sacrificial. I think when we're infused with Jesus, it's spontaneous. Yeah. I, think it, I think it oozes out of us. It po- Listen, it pours out our pores. If we're identified with Jesus in such a way. Not, I'm not talking about mystical things. I'm just saying, does Jesus live inside you? You know, one little girl said to her mama, she said, Mama, isn't God bigger than us? And she, she said, yeah, he's bigger than us. And she said, well, well, doesn't he live in us? And she said, yeah, he lives in us. Well, wouldn't he show through then? So if he's in you, He's going to show through without you even like having to intend it to happen. Kind of a spontaneous spirit of selfless sacrifice. An intuitive response with Jesus inside us. Again, we have responsibility here, but that's, you know, you can, you, you'll have to deal with God about that. So this other guy in the 
in the group, he says, okay, so maybe Paul did this without trying to or even noticing that he did. It just came out naturally. Somebody else said, yeah, super naturally. See, we talk about the supernatural. People get healed and grow a limb and such. And cool, cool. But to me, the most regular miracle that he does is he comes to live inside us and he's bigger than us, so he shows through. I don't know about you, but I never got one of those bracelets, the WWJD bracelet. I'm not a bracelet kind of guy and I don't get, you know... Okay, if you got one of those, I'm not, when I say trinkets, it's just not me. I, it's just not what I do. But the, I think the intention of the w, you know, WWJD was so that we were, we'd be tempted with a situation, we would stop and go, what would Jesus do? And we would, we would think about what he would do, and then we would force ourselves to do something else. It's more of a sweaty kind of spirituality. Kind of, you, got, you have to work at this. And I said to the, to the group there, I wonder if Paul was so enveloped with the life and love of Jesus that it wasn't a forced thing. And that Jesus just poured out his pores. And, that, and, and, and then I kind of coined this phrase, compassion 2.0. Because that's what this, now we're at 2.0. Selfless and sacrificial, you might have thought, whoa, man, that's way over my head. No, 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 that's, the nor- that's easy, normal. Now we're talking about 2.0 that's a spontaneous uh, thing. It's instinctual. So, Kenai going to the hospital and in the hospital, it's, it's instinctual. Nobody told him he should be sharing Christ when he's in the point of suffering. He just goes, God's good. I don't know what's going to happen, but I got to share the Lord with some people that are suffering as much or more than me. So this other guy says, well, I guess uh, that we should hang out with Jesus so much that we start to act like him without even realizing it. Like one guy said, yeah, this is a mythical story of like an angel that comes to him and says, what do you want? And he says, I just want to do great things for God and not know it. I mean, that's way over. I want to know it. You know what I mean? I want to put it in my journal. I want everybody to know it, frankly. I'm just saying. So I'm not at that place. I wonder if we have little to no compassion because we're not close enough to Jesus for him to download it into us. So he rubs off on us more. Look at the next verse in Philippians 1.8. Do you see it on the passage, on the sheet there? He says, I long for you with the compassion of who? Christ, he, with a compa- not Paul's compassion, but with Christ, and he's in the same jail cell, same season, different city, but he's right, I think he's getting, a re- I think he had a revelation when he was in that jail. Philippians 2.1, he says, if you're united with Christ, and then he says all these things, if there's any this, that, and the other, and then he says, if there's any tenderness and compassion. I think sometimes where we're united with Christ, where it's sometimes hard to distinguish between him and us. I don't mean we're Jesus. I'm, we're not little Christ. I don't mean that. But where he ends and we begin sometimes if we're united and we walk in that place of union with Jesus, I'm not sure if we can... I mean, the, the people will see... You know, we want people to see Jesus, yeah? Well, they don't see a guy in a robe, but they see the com- compassion of Jesus, for, for instance, and the character 
of Christ. That's not your everyday run-of-the-mill compassion. This is 2.0, where we realize we are in him and he is in us. Look at the next verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ, what? Lives in me. Look at the next verse, 2 Peter, and this is the last one I'll share with you. 2 Peter 1.4, he says, you are partakers of the divine nature. Turn to somebody, so turn to somebody next to you and say, you are a partaker of the divine nature. Tell them. And if compassion is his nature, if his nature is to be compassionate, which you know it is, then we're partakers of his nature, that spontaneous spirit of selfless, sacrificial compassion.